Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm thrilled to have partnered with Mindful Chef in this second series of Food for Thought. Mindful Chef is all about convenience, quality, and balance, delivering simple, nutritious, and sustainably sourced fresh recipe boxes straight to your door. With dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan recipes available, there is something for absolutely everybody. And what's more, for every meal sold, Mindful Chef donates a school meal to a child in need. You can save £20 across your first two boxes from Mindful Chef, plus get a free cookbook from the founders by heading to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought. Or if you use the code from this podcast, food for thought, when you order your first box, that will be applied. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The list of taboos that affects a woman's health is endless, and let's be honest, most women have no idea what's going on down there. Culturally and personally, no body part inspires so much concern and confusion. It's time to put an end to these taboos and talk openly about women's health, sex, pain, trauma, birth, motherhood, menstruation, menopause, and simply being a woman. Helping us say goodbye to the myths and misconceptions surrounding the female anatomy is Dr. Anita Mitra, who's an NHS doctor working in obstetrics and gynaecology. Hello, Anita. Hi. Thank you for coming on today. There is a lot to cover. <laughs> It's no problem. Thanks for having me, but I think that we can nail it. I okay. Think, um, yeah, let's do it. Excellent. Well, I know a lot of people feel very uncomfortable about things down there, and it's not uncommon or, let's say, embarrassing as people would think, is it? So why do you think so many women don't really talk openly about their female health? Well, I think one of the reasons is that it's not something that, as a society, we're used to talking about, mm. but it definitely needs to be. Um, 
it's something that is always quite um, whispered about. I think that lack of understanding means people don't feel comfortable with talking about it. Mm. Um, Something I come across quite a lot in my practice is people not knowing what to call particular parts of their body. Of course. Um, So it's very difficult to go and talk to a doctor when you um, don't really know what to call the area where you have a problem. Um, The other thing is lots of the words that we use are a little bit tricky to say. Like we were just saying off air, like how do you say the word obstetrics? (laughs) I think I said ob instead of ob. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, they are kind of unusual words and things like, you know, the word estrogen. Like Mm. it's a very, the way it's written, like how how Mm. do you pronounce it? So I think the terminology really puts people off. Yeah. But I think the main thing is that we just are maybe brought up to think that periods and vaginas and all that Mm. kind of thing are dirty and disgusting and we don't want to talk about them and so that's really one of my main missions is to really bust that taboo because if people don't feel they can talk about things then they suffer with problems for a lot longer Mm. and one of the worst parts of my job really is seeing people who have been suffering for years if not decades with problems not understanding what's going on so Mm. highly anxious understandably um, but just, you know, suffering with a problem that could actually be quite simple for us to, to help mm. them with and sort out. So I think that's, for me, the main reason why we need to get better at talking about it. Well, that's why we're so lucky to have people like you out there championing, um, especially this area that you've dedicated your life to studying. And I think men are also particularly shy, aren't they, when it comes to talking about this stuff. So do you think it's important for them to feel comfortable when discussing this too? Yeah, massively. I think that's, yeah, because... We're all surrounded by men and if there's something that's bothering us, then even if you don't say what it is, then mm. someone, if someone knows you very well, they'll know that there's something bothering you. Yeah. Um, and I think we've always, uh, you know, all of us have been in that um, situation where someone we're very close to, there's something on their mind and you're like, come on, tell me what it is. Mm. Uh, and so if it's something that you already feel awkward talking about and you know is going to make that other person feel awkward, then that's really hard. And I think there are a lot of men who probably do struggle with the conditions that their wives, girlfriends, partners, mothers, sisters are going through because they don't understand them. So it becomes more difficult to support them. And I don't blame men for that at all. Mm. I think, again, it's lack of um, information and understanding. Mm. And I remember when we learned about periods at school. So I went to a very kind of like standard um, sort of comprehensive school in the mm. Midlands. It mm. was not particularly like old fashioned. It wasn't particularly like out there. But, you know, I would say it's very like middle of the road. Yeah. And I remember all the boys being taken out when we had Me our too. chat about periods. Yeah, they went in another room. So I just wonder what all the boys who I went to school with, what do they think about periods? So if any of you could tell me, please get in touch. I'd love to know. It's really interesting. Talking of periods, I mean, one thing that I feel I really should share and it's something I see a lot in my clinic is mm. when people lose their periods. Mm. And the term that I, I suppose, the medical term is amenorrhea, isn't it? So yeah. how common is this? And what are the causes that you would um, attribute to this? So I think it's really hard to put a figure on rates of amenorrhea. Mm. So amenorrhea means not having a period for three or six months, depending on where you read. Mm. Now, um, in the world, the most common reason for amenorrhea is pregnancy. Yes, but of course. for a lot of people who are not having periods, there are plenty of other reasons. Now, the first thing I want to say is that if you are on um, certain kinds of contraception, such as, for example, the progesterone-only pill, mm. which is the one you take for 28 days and then don't have a break, yeah. um, and also the Mirena coil in particular, 
um, implant and the injection, they can all cause um, amenorrhea. So your periods right. can stop. And that is not unhealthy. That okay. is um, kind of one of the mechanisms of how they work. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about amenorrhea, we're talking about people who are not using those kind of contraception. Mm-hmm. And so... The commonest reasons I see for people not having periods would be um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. But there's also this massive group of women, and I'm seeing so much, particularly people who contact me on social media, and they're not having their periods because essentially because of the way they live their lifestyles. And I don't blame any of these women for this because there isn't really much awareness for how it can come about. But the main things I'm seeing are overtraining. Oh, I see that all the time. Um, Under eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Particularly if you're training really hard. You know, we were just talking about like Barry's boot camp, for example. Lots of these like boot camp classes. I've never been to Barry's boot camp, (laughs) Anita. That's something that may perhaps need to change. I don't know. But, you know, a lot of these classes, you can burn. Well, they say up to like a thousand calories in a session. So if you're doing that, you know, even once, twice a week, you've got to eat quite a lot. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing is, is just chronic stress. And also with that tends to go, um, you know, poor sleep. Mm. They are the real, you know, the real period stoppers, I would say. And the reason that happens is for a couple of reasons. So if you're super, super stressed, you're going to be making, you're going to make lots of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And I think probably most of your listeners have heard of that. Mm, and touch it's on that made a lot. from the same compounds as your female hormones. Mm-hmm. Okay, So your estrogen and progesterone, it's all along the same steroid pathway, we call it. And so if your body has to make all this cortisol, it would rather do that at the expense of your female hormones yeah. because it likes you to make female hormones, but it needs you to make cortisol because Survival that is essential that keeps you alive. Mm. Exactly. The other thing, you know, if you're chronically deprived of energy, then again, you won't be able to make the goods. If you're not putting those things into your body, you're not making the goods. And also your body wants to protect you in a way. So if it knows that you are a starved, stressed out woman who would not be able to look after a child, because essentially we're talking now about what your body is evolutionary programmed to do. Why would it let you get pregnant or have a period? Exactly. So we could talk about all the molecular mechanisms (laughs) like all day and probably the rest of the week. I mean, that is the reason. Yeah, I think. Definitely what you've touched on there in terms of over-exercising, under-eating, it, it is becoming a big problem. I, th- I find in the UK there's there's lots of big divides and we forget about the middle ground a lot. We think yeah. of over-eating, we think of under-eating. But what about dietary lifestyle choices? A lot of people, I'm not saying this is correct, but claim that veganism has an impact on their periods. Is mm. that a myth that you can bust or is that true? No, it's something that I have seen. I've seen and uh, I think people think I'm like this vegan hater and I'm absolutely not because there are plenty of really responsible vegans out there. This is not about ethical things guys listening, this is scientific (laughs) fact we're discussing. This is geeky science. So um, the thing about veganism and also lots of kind of um, extreme changes in diet Mm. so not even extreme diets but just where you extremely change what you're doing can really make your body deplete in certain nutrients Um, but also a lot of people have been trying veganism over the last few months after sort of veganu and everything like that and a lot of people are like saying god I didn't realize how much you need to eat oh yeah (laughs) 
So that's <laughs> the, the thing. Of food the is volume. Huge. So you can actually, without becoming necessarily nutrient deplete from veganism, you can actually be under eating and not realizing it. And I'm sure you probably see that quite a lot. All the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, but the thing is, you know, if you are cutting out huge food groups, you will become deficient in, in quite a lot of nutrients. Of and so one thing I'm particularly seeing a lot um, is people who are becoming hypothyroid. Okay. Because they're not having dairy, because that is the main source of um, iodine in our Western diets. Yes. And so if, you know, you don't have to be vegan. Lots of people will have plant-based milks these days, soy milks, those kind of things. But the problem is they're not fortified with iodine. Exactly. So you're not getting the iodine. And your thyroid also plays a role, not just in your metabolism and how your body works in general, but also it has an interplay with your female hormones. Mm. So I think it's really important to understand that your female hormones don't work in isolation. No. All of your body's hormones are all working together. So your insulin will have an impact your thyroid mm. you know all these hormones are having an interplay I'm because so it's all a very um yeah. you know intricate system that all pl- you know plays together yeah so that's one thing i'm seeing not just in um in people who are necessarily um, becoming vegans but then also you know you can become deficient in b12 particularly oh there's so many um, nutrient deficiencies aren't there and yeah. like you said with iodine so if people listen you get it in dairy sources and fish so actually if you do make a drastic ch- um, change and it also affects your cognitive development so mm. thyroid cognition all these types of things are exactly. really important and you touched um, on um polycystic ovarian syndrome yeah. as well um you started with that and could you kind of explain what it is and what are the main implications of it because I know it affects a lot more people than we realize. Mm. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is a syndrome so that means that it's a collection of symptoms and it's different in different people so if you have two friends who have polycystic ovarian syndrome it can be a completely different um, sort of mechanism that's going on that's driving it but there are some cardinal symptoms. So the first thing is polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound scan. So your ovaries will make little cysts. Mm. That's how they get the eggs out of the ovary every month. Yeah. You develop a cyst and it bursts and the, the egg pops out Ooh, and then the not fallopian nice tube picks it up. <laughs> I know, it sounds a bit worse than it is. Um, it's happening all the time. It could be happening to you right now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I just don't know. Don't feel it. Um, but when you have PCOS, Mm. your ovulation isn't working in the right way, but your ovary is so desperately trying to pop an egg out, so it makes lots of these cysts. So people call it lazy ovaries. Your ovary is nothing but lazy. It is trying so hard, and that's why you get all the cysts. But having cysts on its own is not PCOS, okay? Lots of people will have polycystic ovaries but won't have any of the other features. Mm. So now you're going to ask me, what are the other features? Yeah. Well, (laughs) here we go. Um, Either absent or irregular periods. Yeah. So amenorrhea, no periods, Mm or oligomenorrhea, so irregular, infrequent Mm -hmm. periods. Um, And that's because you're not ovulating, so your body's not kind of working in your normal kind of like classic 28 And what would you classify as irregular? So that's where you really can't um, find any rhyme or reason mm. to your cycle. Um, and so we say anything between 21 mm-hmm. and 35 days okay. 
is normal. So that's seven days either side of that 28-day mm. cycle. Um, and so if you know that your period normally comes within kind of like maybe your cycle one month is 25 days and the next day it's 32, sorry, the next month it's 32, mm. that would be yeah. you know a pretty regular cycle. But yeah. if you're talking about having a period maybe every three months and then you don't get one for six months, mm. that would be oligomenorrhea. Okay. Um, and so the other thing is signs of having excess male hormones. So mm. testosterone is the predominant one. Yeah. Um, so you can have acne, very oily skin, um, hirsutism where you've got sort of um, excess facial hair mm. um, and also male pattern baldness. They tend uh-huh. to be the, the, the cardinal um, symptoms yeah. and signs. Um, and so the reason you get polycystic ovaries in about 70% of people is insulin resistance. Which is why perhaps it's linked to a carbohydrate diet. You can discuss that too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But what happens is when your body becomes less sensitive to insulin, Mm. so you're not diabetic, Mm. but you have, you know, insulin resistance, you have to make more of it. And when Mm. you make lots of insulin, it Mm. makes your ovaries turn estrogen Mm-hmm. into testosterone, so the male hormone. Right. And then you're not going to ovulate. And okay. then you get all those kind of symptoms that we yeah. talked about. Right, okay. Um, and so it can be a massive problem for a lot of women because obviously having these symptoms are not nice and then there is a potential that if you're not ovulating, it might cause problems in the future with pregnancy. If you have PCOS, though, I must stress, you have to use contraception. Mm. It doesn't mean that doesn't you're mean not you're going to get pregnant because <laughs> we see plenty of people who of have PCOS and get yeah. pregnant with no problems. But it is something that is a potential problem. And mm. that's why I'm really keen on getting people to kind of recognize it because yeah. you need to sort these things out in advance of when you maybe want to get pregnant. Of course, but how do they sort it out? So I'm often asked, the questions I yeah. typically get are, diets for PCOS, you know, yeah. what can people do? Yeah. So you see lots of these kinds of yeah. articles, the top five foods for PCOS. Oh, gosh. You've probably um, been asked to contribute to so many. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I'd say is there is no quick fix. Yeah. Okay. And the idea about PCOS is sorting out your lifestyle so that you make consistent changes that are sustainable. Mm. It's not about um, super extreme diets and, you know, real kind of like crash, you know, like hacks yeah. and fixes. Yeah. So it's never the answer. Lots of people promote a ketogenic diet, for example. Mm. Okay. So the science behind it is obviously that if you are insulin resistant or quite insensitive then by having fewer carbs then Mm. you are going to help the sort of metabolism that's going on the only thing i would say is that if you're on a proper proper ketogenic diet where you're having maybe 20 grams of carbs per day lack of fiber there exactly thank you so fiber is super super important Mm. because there are studies that have shown that women with um sorry women who have pcos have less fiber intake yeah and so why is that important well you get rid of estrogen Mm. through your bowels Mm. so through a circulation of the estrogen via the liver yeah that gets excreted into your stool so if you're not having lots of fiber you're not able to 
do those chemical processes and then you're not going to um, poo out your excess estrogen and it all recirculates and then if you've got loads of estrogen and you've got loads of insulin then you're going to be making even more testosterone and so you can see it's quite a vicious cycle it is and I think that's why the BDAs the British Dietetic Association they actually recommend low GI type foods the glycemic index rather than doing something that extreme yeah exactly yeah Um, so You've got to really kind of find something that's going to work for you with yeah. lots of fiber, lots of fruit and veggies. Because mm-hmm. remember that ovulation itself is just one of the processes that your body needs to do. Of and course. it needs so many micronutrients, lots of you know vitamins and minerals yeah. and all sorts of things that you can't get through having a very extreme diet. Because you and, discuss in your book, you've got mm-hmm. things like vitamin D and you, you explain the importance of that and yeah. maybe minimizing caffeine and alcohol as well. Exactly. So... I, yeah, I mean, okay, <laughs> now I sound really boring, but <laughs> no, go the, thing, the thing is that, okay, I love coffee, yes. so I've had a massive coffee this morning. Okay, <laughs> enjoy. I, that's the thing. So I enjoy yeah. one or two really good coffees per day. Anita is like blushing right now when we talk about this, but it's fine. Go for it, babe. <laughs> and I don't have any coffee yeah. after sort of midday one, maybe two o'clock if I'm going to be doing a really long shift or I'm going to finish yes. at nine. Yes. And the reason mainly for me is that it does interfere with your sleep mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So it takes, the half-life of caffeine is, is six hours. So if I had a coffee at six o'clock, if I'm at work still, then at midnight, oh, I know, it's that's like drinking half a cup of coffee. Pretty much. I'm never going to do that. I know. I mean, guys, that's 12 hours in total. Think about this. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, alcohol also will interfere with your sleep. Mm. Um, it, it dehydrates you and it can have a stimulant effect at mm. a quite a low level. So you can, there's this quite interesting sort of bell-shaped curve with alcohol where you're kind of like the, the alcohol level's going up and you're getting excited. Yeah. And then you get to a peak and it's a sedative. Yeah. So then you're like, okay, it's time to go home. Then you yeah. go home, or maybe you're already at home, I don't know. You go to bed, and then you go to sleep. And then as your alcohol level comes down on the other side mm. of the bell, it starts to stimulate you again. And that's yeah. why you often have really bad sleep after you've you had a big night. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But so why am I harping on about sleep with PCOS? Mm-hmm. Well, lack of sleep will promote insulin resistance. Yeah. And this is in all of us. Yeah. Okay. So there's some interesting studies that have looked at sleep deprivation. Okay. And if you sleep one night for yeah. four hours, yeah. you can decrease your insulin sensitivity by 25%. Mm. And so this is why we have to really remember that all our hormones are playing into our female hormones. It's all one huge system. Nothing works in isolation. And if we go back in the olden days where we weren't working these long hours to the same degree and things, we would be getting more sleep. And how does that tie into another condition known as endometriosis? Could you quickly explain what endometriosis is as well? Is that similar with food? Uh, Well, there is some interesting data about endometriosis. And again, something I get asked about a lot Mm. in terms of um, diets and things. So endometriosis is when the cells that line the womb, which are called, so that's called the endometrium, that layer. Cells like that are found outside of the womb. So on the skin of the pelvis. Mm. um, So they can be on your ovaries, on your bowel, bladder. In rare cases, they can even be in the lung. Oh, wow. Your hormones are in your bloodstream. Mm. So wherever these cells are, they react in the same way as they would if they were in the womb. So they they thicken up um, throughout the month. And then when you have your period, the lining of your womb would shed. 
So the same thing happens to those cells. So you kind of have a little bit of bleeding and shedding mm. into the tummy. And Ooh. that is very, very irritant. So blood is incredibly irritant. Which is the pain people experience. Exactly. But it's not just painful periods. So you eventually will get scar tissue because that blood yeah. has nowhere to go. It causes inflammation, irritation, and you get sort of, yeah, scar tissue developing and little deposits. Yeah. Um, and so we can see this when we operate on people. We often do keyhole surgery for this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And so if... Your, if it's on your bowel, it might cause really bad pain when you go to the toilet to have mm. your bowels open. Um, also when you're passing urine, if it's yeah. on your bladder. But just generally, everything in your tummy should be moving around. So all your organs kind of like slide over one yeah, another. And if it all gets stuck, then that will just cause pain. And Ooh. in particular, it can cause really bad pain when you have sex. Well, that's what I've heard as well. Mm. I actually have a few friends with, with, with this condition. Yeah. They actually it got really sad because they avoided having sex with their partner for a exactly. while. Is there anything people can do? Well, again, I think that's one of the reasons why we need to educate men. Yeah. Um, and just kind of having an awareness that it's not something that's in your head. It doesn't no. mean that you don't like sex. Because no. I see a lot of people who are really worried that there's something sort of physically... Oh. Um, um, you know, wrong with them. Into well, mm. there is something kind of inside, yeah, but, but they don't know. Yeah, mm. and and I think it's being able to have that communication with your partner that you know maybe something's uncomfortable. Maybe certain times of the month it might be more uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, avoiding positions that you you find Feel make the more. pain even worse. Mm. Yeah. So I think really it's it's communication is really the key there yeah 100 yeah. percent. and i mean moving on to the kind of that area and talking of things that i know a lot of people are speaking about today so a lot of people talking about gut health but mm. i want to talk about the vaginal microbiome which i know in your phd yeah. you focused on a lot yeah. i mean could you explain this is it vaginal brain axes is that <laughs> so, how it works yeah so well i think this is kind of something i made up but it is a thing great well go you i'm liking this thing um so yeah again this is kind of like me wanting to basically harp on about how everything is connected yeah so yeah so my phd a lot of it i focused on the vaginal microbiome mm. um and so that's just the good healthy bacteria that lives in our vagina yeah. just like in our gut yeah okay and this is one of the reasons why you shouldn't clean inside your vagina you shouldn't use douches or anything like that yeah and well goop isn't it places that promote these God, bizarre my pressure is going up and <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll pretend i never brought that topic up so please continue to tell us don't yeah. use these devices <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah. you don't want to wash inside your vagina because uh -huh. you've got um as specific kind of bacteria there called lactobacillus mm -hmm. and it's a really really good healthy bacteria and what it does is it makes lots of um, chemicals and metabolites mm. that protect us mm. okay so they stop things like candida growing mm -hmm. so that's what um, causes thrush yeah and also stops the growth of bacteria that can overgrow and cause something called bacterial vaginosis yeah. Uh, and so it's quite interesting, though, because, again, we think of our vaginas not being linked to anything. Yeah. There is actually some evidence to show that your gut microbiome yeah. has an impact on <gasps> the structure of your vaginal microbiome. Oh. Um, and so... Because, of course, you pass on to your baby if someone has a baby, don't they? They're kind of bacteria. Yeah, so that's where we think a lot of the, the bacteria comes from in terms yeah. of sort of establishing that microbiome. Um, but it's really interesting. So I touched on something called bacterial vaginosis. Yeah. And so that's where you get quite irritating discharge. It can be quite foul-smelling mm. and just really recurrent. So you can get bouts of it. It'll come and go, come oh, and go. Gosh. And really 
interesting patient that I had once. Okay. And she was like, I just need to get rid of this. Yeah. And we were chatting and she was a banker um, in London and super busy and super stressed, didn't really sleep, um, liked a few crafty fags when she went up for drinks after work. (laughs) Then she said to me, do you know what's really weird? But when I go to Korea, which is where she was from, Mm. she said, I go home and it totally goes away. Oh. Yeah. And I asked her, okay, so what actually changes when you go to Korea? And she said, well, my mum doesn't know that I smoke, so I don't smoke anymore. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Um, And then I just chill out. I sleep loads. I don't, you know, I don't have to answer any work emails or anything like that. And also my grandma makes this... um, sort of soup and it was like a fermented soup yeah I thought gosh that's really interesting yeah. because what she's done there is basically changed a whole lifestyle changed the whole lifestyle <laughs> and it's t- changed a symptom that you would never yeah. associate with Diet, any of those sleep, things relaxation exactly wow so I tried to ask her for the recipe for the soup no, but she was like no it's like a <laughs> ancient recipe that cannot be cannot be given yeah, yeah. <laughs> but oh. so that's why it's so important of to course. look after your entire um, health and I mean, there's not tons of studies out there at the moment looking at the connection between the gut and the vaginal microbiome, but um, I think they will be coming. And, you know, you can... Some of the bacteria in the vagina actually seeds from the rectum. There are some studies Ah. to show that. So that's why I think we really need to be thinking about our gut health in relation to our um, vaginal health as well. It's great. I mean, you mentioned lactobacillus, and that's something that you actually find in Greek yogurt as well, which is very interesting. So there you go, everyone listening. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I know something that affects everybody definitely listening would be painful periods. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I get excruciating period cramps personally. The mood swings are there. The food cravings are there. There seems to be a growing movement on people using things like organic tampons mm. instead, thinking this mm. has an impact, changing mm-hmm. their diet. What What's actually going on? Mm. Okay, so first of all, I would just sort of reassure people that it, 
is normal to get a little bit of pain with mm. your period. And it's because your womb is squeezing to get um, the blood out, basically. Yeah. So normally f- the first day or two might be a bit uncomfortable. Mm. And using something like paracetamol, ibuprofen, those kind of things are totally safe to do. But if you're like clock watching thinking, my God, when do I get to take that next one? Yeah. That might be a sign that maybe your period is a bit too uncomfortable. Okay. Maybe you want to go and talk to your doctor. But yes, with regards to sort of tampons and and things like that, I've had lots of people asking me about this because there are lots of organic tampon companies popping up. And I think it's great for people to have options. Of course. But I think that a lot of them can be a little bit oversold at the moment. If you are wondering whether your tampon is causing you problems in terms of sort of irritation Mm. or you think it might be causing Mm. pain... By all means, try something different. And you yeah. need to give it a couple of months to see if it made a difference. Of course. Um, because remember, your periods can be different every month as well. Because depending yeah. on what's going on in life, if you oh, have yeah. a super stressful month, that can actually cause you to get a more painful period. I knew it. I guess that's what's <laughs> happening to me. I knew it, Anita. Yeah, and exactly. What about things like, so I like a moon cup. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on, on that sort yeah. of thing? I think moon cups are great if you like them. Yeah. Um, I have also tried them I think they're yeah. great um, I loved it when I went away for the weekend oh my goodness, and I was like nice. I don't have to have this bag full of tampons I I've know. got a moon cup but I know. some months I just don't fancy using it and I, yeah, I yeah. can't quite work out why yeah. but I, I do think people are being slightly shamed into using moon cups. So if mm. you, because you have to be quite cool with putting your fingers inside your That's vagina. That's true, yeah. And you have to be quite cool with the sight of blood. Because yeah. to be honest with you, I mean, I see litres of blood every day yeah. in my job. Um, <laughs> it's not something that's foreign to me. No. I was quite surprised, actually, the first time I used it. It's fascinating because, to see how much blood you yeah, actually collect. Exactly. I found that really interesting. I was like, oh my goodness. Now, top tip here yeah. is if you are going to try one, the first time you remove it, I would highly recommend doing it in the shower mm. um, because you don't want to drop it everywhere. No. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I, that's what I did. Just, <laughs> just out of interest, if I anyone's mean, wondering. What about weight fluctuations? So I think, yeah. um, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I definitely put on two to three kilos around mm-hmm. that time of month. Mm-hmm. Is that normal? I know a lot of people yeah. listening may experience more or less. Definitely. You will notice weight fluctuations throughout the month. And so I generally don't weigh myself but there are scales in uh, the gym that I go to Mm. and just for fun I don't care how much I weigh anymore there were times in my life when (laughs) I probably would but I've weighed myself and my god it can be like two or three kilos and like I'm quite small so in terms of like proportion of my Mm. body weight that's quite a lot Um, because you don't see it but you can feel it it's insane and so yeah there are reasons why you would put on weight throughout the month and one of the main ones is water retention right um, because our hormones will, you know, again, interact with mm. other hormones mm. um, that are related to um, water retention. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons that you get a bit of water retention is because when you're pregnant, because remember, your body is every month trying to get pregnant of before course. you have a period. You need to increase your um, body fluid volume mm. because when you have a baby, even the most sort of... Um, simple of deliveries you will bleed obviously yeah. and so your body needs to increase the the, the fluid the volume fluid, yeah. so that's one of the reasons why you get a bit of fluid retention actually um so we could 
to kind of say we should be a little bit grateful. Yeah, <laughs> because no, if that course. happens, if we do get pregnant, then we do need it. Yeah. The other thing is that you can get quite bloated um, in terms of your bowel because yeah. um, particularly progesterone will change um, the motility of your, of your gut. Mm. So there are lots of reasons. So yeah, it is there and it's mm. not something that's in your head. No. Now, I... Um, I've done some work with an amazing app called Moody Month, okay. which if you want to track your um, sort of symptoms and how you feel, yeah. both mentally and physically, this is a really good Moody app. Month. Moody Month. Cool. Yeah. So it's a period tracker. Yeah. Um, it's not any kind of like contraceptive or anything yeah. like that. It's just an app where you work out where you are in your cycle and then you can track your moods and your symptoms and it gives you a report, which is really cool if you yeah. want to be really geeky <laughs> um, and just helps you to work out if there is a if there is a kind of like a yeah. cycle because sometimes if you can rationalize it yeah you can accept it a little bit I more, agree with I think. that and for people that are maybe planning on getting pregnant yeah um do you think that maybe delaying things or because you're, you're tracking and you think oh I've got my career or I've got financial mm. things mm. will that have an overall impact on someone's ability or chance to conceive we've got other factors here like age and does does that have an impact yeah so well we unfortunately women's fertility does decline quicker than men with age yeah. and so which people, sucks men have men have no idea <laughs> i know so people say that you know the fertility of the nation is decreasing mm. that's not true per se okay. our fertility isn't decreasing but we are choosing to have children later for all the reasons that you mentioned yes. so yes unfortunately the older you are the the less your fertility will be. So from about 32, 34, that's when it really starts to um, decline. But if you are around the age, which we yes. both kind of are, <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to freak out and stress. No. It does not mean that you are not going to be able to get pregnant. Yes. Um, but yeah. it is something that we have to remember. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to remind people yeah. that unfortunately, we are not fertile forever yeah yeah and there's also a reason why our fertility decreases because actually being pregnant puts a massive massive strain on your body Mm. it is a real workout for your body and unfortunately um you know we do see older women often you know who've had ivf for example having a lot more complications and that is one of the reasons why we shouldn't necessarily be really promoting delaying mm. our fertility okay. I'm not saying everyone needs to rush out and get pregnant but Just I think that, that you know you can push nature a little bit too far sometimes that's that's I think that's a very interesting point to raise and, and going on the other end of the spectrum I've had so many of my followers asking to learn more about the menopause mm. and I mean it, it's also a taboo subject what happens to our bodies at the other end of the spectrum so yeah, absolutely could you talk us through those symptoms and what people can do maybe to help those symptoms yeah so the menopause is a kind of retrospective diagnosis yeah <laughs> so okay you can say that you're menopausal when you've not had a period for one year oh um and so that average age for that in the uk is 51 mm-hmm it tends to be dictated slightly by when your mum went through the menopause. So if you're wondering, then that's a, a good um, way of kind of gauging it. Mm. Um, so the time leading up to the menopause is called the perimenopause. Yes. And for some people, that never happens. No, <laughs> they just don't no, have any no. symptoms. Yeah. Um, but for other people, it can go on for months, even years. Oh, wow. You go through the menopause essentially because you run out of eggs. Mm. That's why. And so if you don't have those eggs to release, you're not getting that same hormonal cycle. How many eggs do we have? 
Millions. Millions, good. So we have millions <laughs> when we're born. Okay. And every month, yeah. the, the number will decrease. decrease They'll yeah. sort of die off and um, that's going on all through our lives. Okay. Um, interesting point, a lot of people are asking me lately. If they are on contraception, that stops you from ovulating. So, for example, combined oral contraceptive yes. pill. It won't delay when your menopause starts. It mm. doesn't save your eggs because okay. your eggs are still... Um, sort of dying off every month. That yeah. sounds really dramatic. Please no. don't freak out. Guys. That's a good point to make. <laughs> it's all yeah. normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it won't, uh, you can't sort of preserve your fertility no. in that way, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what happens is you will be making less estrogen, less progesterone, and again, it will have an impact on lots of other hormones. Mm. Now, we tend to focus on hot flushes um, as being yeah. a cardinal oh. symptom of menopause. It sounds, I mean, for some of my clients in my clinic, it's a very, very excruciating time. Absolutely. But then there's lots of other symptoms that we don't talk about. So mm-hmm. you will generally have slightly more irregular periods yeah. um, when you're perimenopausal. Okay. So when you first start having periods and when they're going to finish at the end mm-hmm. of your reproductive life, that's when they'll be irregular. So they may also be heavier Okay. Okay. So we see a lot of people coming to clinic, super, super scared, worried that you know there's something really nasty going on because they're having these really heavy, maybe painful periods. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we will investigate and look for other causes, but a lot of the time, it is just um, the perimenopause. Right. So, but, do periods get heavier as we age? They can do because if you're not having regular periods, that can be uh, that can be happening. Mm. Um, the other thing I really want to mention is that you're particularly estrogen plays a big role in brain health yeah and so that's why a lot of people um get problems with kind of brain fog i'm not sure that's necessarily the best word ah, but i think people know what i mean concentration when, a yeah, bit there yeah exactly mm-hmm. that can be a huge problem mm. and i think a lot of people now are talking about you know we need employ employers to be more aware of it that you know it doesn't mean that someone's suddenly really crap at their job no. actually maybe there's sort of a physiological reason for why they're like that the other thing is headaches. I think that okay. causes a lot of anxiety for women going through the menopause. Headaches or migraines? Yeah, so either. Yeah. Okay. It can be either. Um, and particularly if you're... Some people can get headaches and migraines associated with their periods. Yeah. Um, because that's when you've got low estrogen at that yeah. time. And it's the same kind of thing in... Uh, particularly in the menopause. If you get kind of like an estrogen... Um, Drop. A deprivation yeah. headache that can be a problem and you know that I think we're all quite scared of bad headaches you know mm. we think oh god is there something really nasty going on in my head um so that is another thing that I think that we is need to make people aware absolutely mind-blowing and I think uh, for so many people actually knowing why they may be experiencing those headaches or migraines mm. could be like you said before with the tracking app very useful mm. to help them be aware exactly realize that you've mentioned your contraception well the tracking app mm-hmm. what are your thoughts Thoughts on increased other um, measures, so things like temperature tracking. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a rise in all these alternative natural contraceptions. Are they yeah. valid? Uh, so at the moment, they're not recommended by the NHS mm. because there isn't really enough evidence to back up their use. Yes. So I think the there's one particular app um, that everyone's talking about a lot. Although I've noticed not so many people talking about it on social yeah, media these I days have after too. it got in trouble with the advertising standards agency. I remember discussing that with you a year, was it a year ago. <laughs> yeah, Must I have been we a year a, ago. I was probably yeah. having a proper rant about it. <laughs> yeah. um, but what you do mm. is you essentially um, help the app to learn your cycle yeah. and you take your temperature every single day mm. to try and help it work out when you're ovulating. 
Mm. Because your temperature will slightly increase by about 0.3 degrees when you ovulate. Very slight. Exactly, very slight. Not enough that you would necessarily notice it. Mm. Although some people can feel quite hot. um, Hot sweats in the middle of the night. I hear a lot of that. Is that very common around that time of month? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But what you do is, yeah, you try and help it work out when you're ovulating so you'll know when you're fertile. So Mm. you're fertile for five days before you ovulate because that's how long sperm can live in the body mm. and then the egg can survive for 24 hours. So okay. you have a six-day um, six fertile window. Wow. And the only problem is, though, if the app gets it wrong, it will only know on the day that you ovulate. So it won't know. If you ovulated early, it yeah. won't know that for those five days before, you were fertile. Of course. So that's how the app can get it wrong. And the problem is that for a lot of us, the way that we live our lives is not going to lead to predictable ovulation necessarily. No. So yeah. all the factors that we talked about earlier, yeah. so training, eating, stress, sleep, mm-hmm. travel as well, Ooh. Um, going out for a boozy night, <laughs> all of these things. What about, and so I heard smoking as well can contribute to things like even early menopause. Yeah, definitely. Because ah. smoke, smoking will have an impact on your hormones as yeah. well. Um, and so, yeah, even... I mean, that's so many something that could be taken into account. But yeah, so we just don't have enough independent no. data. Mm. All the data so far comes from the company who makes the app. Um, so it's not necessarily the most reliable kind. So I think that we just have to be a little bit careful. And I think that yeah. I don't have any problem with people using those kind of apps. No. And I think they are quite good if you want to think about getting pregnant. Yeah. But <laughs> I would just but. say you... I wouldn't recommend them to anyone who would be devastated if they got pregnant. No. That's and my kind that's of... That's a good summary, I think, of that one, <laughs> definitely, because I think it's very important. So we had lots of questions from followers okay. for you as well. No, I don't think you've seen these. Oh, surprise. I love a surprise. There we go. So <laughs> Zoe has said, um, what about detox teas? Yeah. Do they affect my cycle or my contraception? Uh, so... I don't think there's that much evidence that they necessarily affect your cycle. Okay. Although if you are, if you're really going for it, then you may be like washing out all your hormones. Um, oh gosh. It would be pretty extreme. Um, but they can affect contraception. Ah. So if you are using the pill. Yeah. So something oral, either yeah. kind of the pill, then it can stop it being absorbed, essentially. <gasps> so is why we don't recommend these teas. Exactly. Because it's like giving yourself diarrhea. Oh. Because if you take the pill and you get diarrhea, you need to look at your pills instructions because mm. all pills can be subtly different. Yeah. But you would need to follow that advice. So okay. if you're having a detox tea, it's like putting right. yourself at risk of a potential oh, pregnancy. So okay. be careful, people. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that one up. And Sandra has said, I hear a lot about pelvic floor exercises. Why yeah. should I be doing them? Oh, well, there's lots of reasons. Okay. Uh, I think that people always talk about doing pelvic floor exercises for orgasm. Well, yes, that is one nice side effect, maybe. There is some evidence to show that doing pelvic floor exercises can help with that. Uh, But the real reason is because we need to look after our bodies for the long term. And as we age, our pelvic floor will get weaker. So why is that a problem? Your pelvic floor is really important for urinary and faecal continence. So being able to control your bladder and your bowels. It also is important for literally holding everything in. So I always think of it as like a trampoline. Okay. okay. And so if you jump too much on the trampoline... and It's just going to go through the bottom. Exactly. (laughs) And so you can get prolapse. Um, So you can have a prolapse of the bladder, the bowel, um, the the womb itself, Mm. the walls of the vagina, Mm. all these things. And that can lead to lots of problems. So we should all be looking after our pelvic floors. And my go-to 
resource for this um, is Squeezy app. Squeezy. So it's an NHS app. It will teach you how to do them. It can send you reminders. And yeah. I think for anyone who is vaguely thinking about it, which should be everyone, okay. not just if you're pregnant or planning oh, it. Any age. Any age. Ooh. Everyone should be Like training about in the it. gym, but training exactly. for down there. So I do mine when I'm doing my cool down in the gym. Okay, right. And so, yeah, big tip, really. Try and associate yeah. it with something you do every day okay. so that you're like, okay, I'm doing that thing. Yep. I'm going to do my pelvic floor Oh, exercises. gosh, okay, I'm going to start on that. So we're now yep. moving on to my favourite part in the podcast. This is a quick fire round called Fact or Fiction. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. So, exercising on your period is healthy. Yes, fact. Brilliant. It can help with period pain um, and just generally helps you, I think, feel a bit mentally better. Don't feel like you have to do it, but it can definitely help. Oh, that's so good to know. We should all be vaginal steaming. Fiction. (laughs) Coconut oil treats thrush. Hmm, interesting one. Uh, There is some evidence to show that in, um, in lab studies, coconut oil does actually kill candida but it has quite a broad spectrum antibacterial effect so i am slightly concerned that it can also um kill off the lactobacillus so at the moment it's not something and i I presume you mean putting it on not sort not consuming it orally yeah uh putting it yeah i've seen people saying about putting it in their vagina and also um people saying use um tampons um soaked in coconut oil maybe in the future i'll change my mind but at the moment i need more data please there we go (laughs) there we go um healthy um, not healthy heavy periods are unhealthy no um, fiction some mm-hmm. people will unfortunately have heavy periods mm. but don't think it's something you have to put up with the pill causes cancer false good <laughs> overall um, there are uh, there's a really good study by the Royal College of GPs um, which shows that there is a slightly increased risk of breast um, and cervical cancer when you're mm. using it disappears within five years of stopping um, but the overall effect of cancer is actually beneficial because okay. there are huge reductions in the risk of um, endometrial cancer, so lining yeah. of the womb, yeah. ovarian and colorectal. These are three huge killers of women and the impact has been shown to extend more than 20 years after right. stopping. Oh, so overall the net effect is actually protective. Okay, that is very good to know. Veganism can stop periods. It can, fact. Uh, women can't get pregnant past 40. Fiction. Uh, less stress makes for easier conception. Oh, fact. This is brilliant. Um, sperm count declines with age. Uh, yes, uh, fact. It okay. will do a little bit. Something for the men too. Um, healthy fats are key for hormone production. Yeah, fact. They're all made of fats. They're made of cholesterol. That was a very decisive, brilliant fast-fire <laughs> round. Well done. I don't know about <laughs> quick fire. I did rant on about some of it. <laughs> no, we, we love the information on the Food for Thought podcast. And that nearly wraps up the episode. But with every guest, we finish with a Food for Thought. Okay. So mine today is that, as we've discussed, nutrition can play such an important role when it comes to various aspects of female health. And one example is, of course, folic acid, which is a water-soluble vitamin and can be found in many foods, including veggies, beans, legumes, poultry. It's also known as B9 and is responsible for forming our red blood cells and optimum nerve functioning. Now, the NHS suggests that women trying for a baby and those pregnant up to the 12th week should take the folic acid supplement. So in part of a kind of helpful campaign to reduce the risk of neural defects in babies. 
Also, I should add that when we hit menopause, our bone mass decreases too. So this is due to the loss of estrogen, as Anita explained earlier, in our system. And vitamin D is very important for bone health. And the government does recommend that throughout the kind of autumn and winter months when it gets darker, we take about 10 micrograms. So lots of nutritional things there. And as always, if you are unsure about your health, please ensure you speak to a qualified health professional when making changes to your diet. And if you could leave our listeners, Anita, with your food for thought today, what would that be? So my food for thought is just don't be scared to talk to your doctor about your health problems Mm. because there are often things that we can do and I would say as well that with regards to healthy diets I totally totally promote healthy diets to my Mm. patients but a healthy diet should always be something that's sustainable and nothing extreme but also don't feel that your diet is the cause of why you're doing something I find a lot of people feel super guilty Mm. I did a post about carbs and PCOS a while ago and Mm. a surprising number of women were saying Thank you so much for saying this because I felt really bad that I couldn't stick to a ketogenic diet. Oh, that makes me so sad. So I think that, you know, lifestyle is huge and it has to be something that we promote alongside modern medicine. The two can definitely live in harmony together. Mm. So by all means, please, please do the things that you can Mm. um, for yourself. And the last four chapters of my book are actually all about lifestyle. Yes. But don't beat yourself up about it. Some things, unfortunately, um, you're not going to be able to necessarily completely um, negate or prevent with no. with your healthy lifestyle. As well, well, Anita, that was a lovely point to finish on. And where can everybody find you if they want to learn more or get your book? Uh, yeah, so I'm at Geek on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, and GynaGeek.com is my website. And yeah, my book is out on the 7th of March. Which will be out by the time this airs. Ah, so well, go, go for it. So available um, on Amazon. <laughs> and um, hopefully all major bookstores bookstores, yeah oh congratulations and thank you you so much for coming on the food for thought podcast thanks for having me thank you so much for listening it's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice if you enjoyed this episode you'll love what's coming next week so click subscribe to be the first to hear it and please do leave a five-star review it really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people for more information about my nutrition clinic books healthy recipes events retreats and so much more please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on instagram twitter facebook and youtube A perfect diet is just a mirage that sets us all up to be disheartened. There is no such thing as the perfect anything. So find what works for you. That's the easiest way to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Mindful Chef has got it all covered. With the largest variety of vegan options for any UK recipe box and gluten and dairy-free options to choose from too. There really is something for everyone. To check out their recipes, head to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought where you can get £20 off across your first two boxes and get a free cookbook written by the founders. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.